We read today from John chapter 4, verses 46 through 54, reading today from a personal translation. Then Jesus came again into Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. And there was a certain royal officer whose son suffered illness in Capernaum. When he heard that Jesus had come from Judea into Galilee, he went away to him and urgently requested that Jesus come down and restore his son, for he was near to death. Then Jesus said to him, Without signs and wonders for you to see, you would not have faith. The royal officer said to Jesus, Sir, come down before my little boy dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son lives. The man believed the word that Jesus said to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his slaves met him, saying, Your child lives. So he inquired of them the hour when the child began to get better. They said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that in that very hour, Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he and his whole house believed. And this was the second sign that Jesus did after coming from Judea into Galilee. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, reveal your word to us this day that we might have life in your name. Amen. The city of Cana is roughly 15 miles uphill from Capernaum. So when the gospel writer tells us that a royal officer heard that Jesus was in the area, it's not exactly as if they would have otherwise bumped into each other. The writer's decision not to mention how the local authorities learned that Jesus was in the region almost feels a little bit suspicious, as if to suggest that some were already on the lookout for his return, but we know why. In verse 45 of chapter 4, the writer tells us that when Jesus arrived, many of the locals remembered him from before, having themselves been present during the Passover festival when Jesus entered the temple and in civil disobedience overturned the tables at the currency exchange. Such a spectacle appears to have placed the local authorities on high alert as they watched to see what else he might do and whether Jesus was poised to lead a revolution against the Roman Empire, something the authorities would be ready to strike down by any means necessary. It seems that rumors were also spreading about the signs that Jesus was doing, about the words that he spoke, and the things he did that left many pondering. So when the message finally came to the royal officer in today's reading, that Jesus was in Cana, the decision was made to go and find out for himself. Perhaps he volunteered to go and investigate and then bring a report back, 
Or maybe like Nicodemus in chapter 3, he snuck away in the night in the hopes that no one was watching. Whatever explanation he might have given, the officer in today's reading is clearly conflicted. As a member of the royal guard, he has a duty to protect the interests of the empire above all else. But that's not really why he made the journey. Instead, we learn early on that this member of the imperial security force is also a parent whose son is ill and dying, and he is desperate to try and do something. But remember, there are no smartphones or social media in the first century. So finding Jesus is not just a matter of logging in or sending a message. Not only does the officer have to make the journey seemingly alone, but even after he finally arrives in the city, he also has to do the digging and ask around. We cannot help but wonder all that was going on inside of him as he searched. Did he play out the conversation in various ways? Did he prepare in advance what he was going to say when the moment finally came? Did he imagine the many ways that Jesus might respond? Or was he just so determined and so focused on the outcome that he could not feel anything at all? After some days, the officer finds Jesus and is no doubt exhausted by the effort. And as someone who was used to having authority and giving orders, the officer in today's reading gives one to Jesus, commanding him to return and restore his son. And Jesus says to him, Do I have to perform the word for you in order for you to trust that it is so? Must you see me perform the word in order for you to place your trust in the word itself? Upon hearing Jesus' words to him, the officer is stunned, perplexed, we might say. We can almost feel him taking the first deep breath in days. It's not what he expected Jesus to say. What he expected, what he had planned was that Jesus would just respond to his authority. What he thought was that he could just give the order and then Jesus would just do what he said. That was plan A and that's not what happens and there is no plan B. A guard in the royal court of the Roman Empire is used to making decisions about life and death but when it comes to the life of his own son the officer recognizes his limitations and that he does not have the final say. So he decides to do what does not come very easy for him, and that is he decides to speak the truth from his gut, abandoning all claims to royal authority. The officer sets aside the power of his office, and lays down all of his desire to control the outcome of the situation. And then he looks at Jesus. He looks at Jesus and sees Jesus looking right back at him, a broken man whose world is falling to pieces. And with tears in his eyes, he says to Jesus, 
Sir, please. Please come down. Please, won't you come down before my little boy dies? And right then and there, he's done it. The mask and the pretense that he's so used to wearing have just fallen. He will never again be the person that he was before. For he has just poured out from the depths of his heart and spoken to Jesus the most honest thing that could have been said. And that is prayer. And Jesus, seeing him there so open and willing and genuine, says to him, Go, your son lives. And the gospel writer tells us that he trusted in the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went on his way, beginning the journey home. And the next day, while still on his way, The slaves who have been caring for his son meet him there on the road, and they tell him that his son is alive. How? When? He asks them. And they answer him, it was yesterday afternoon, around 1 p.m. And at that moment, the man remembers that it was in that same hour that Jesus had spoken to him, and the scriptures say that he and his whole house believed. In other words, they trusted. And what did they trust? They trusted in the word that Jesus declared concerning the promise of life. They trusted in the implications of this word For each of them. And they trusted that it was, in fact, Jesus' word to speak. For as the scriptures also say, in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. Now, there are three observations to be made concerning this story for us today. And the first concerns the gospel writer's unique use of prepositions. Three times in these verses from John chapter 4, we are told that Jesus came into Galilee. And in contrast, the man in today's reading requests for Jesus to come down, a word that also means to descend. Now on the surface, of course, this is simply a recognition that Cana is physically uphill from Capernaum. Beneath the surface, however, is an important theological observation about the location of the presence of God in the story of Jesus. The man in today's reading asks Jesus to come down because he requests for Jesus to draw near from far away. That is, to come close in proximity to the place where his son is ill and suffering. But the writer of the gospel understands that Jesus, as the embodied word of God, has by the very nature of his life and breath already become very near to us. To say it differently, Jesus did not need to come down in order to be fully present. For as the opening words of the gospel declare, 
the Word who was with God in the beginning and who was God became a human being and lived among us. The Word who set the stars in their courses and who separated the day from the night, this Word has come to life in Mary's womb becoming like us in the fullness of what it means to be a human person and has done so in order to redeem our lives together. So in fact, the royal officer in today's reading who has traveled far to meet with Jesus does not quite see, at least at first, how very far God has come to meet with us. Second observation from today's reading concerns the transformation of identities. You see, early on in the story, we're introduced to a royal officer whose son is ill. But as the story unfolds, the man's identity as a royal security guard is all but stripped away, such that from the moment that he hears the word that Jesus speaks to him and places his trust in the promise of life that Jesus gives, the character in the story is no longer referred to as a royal officer, but as a man, that is, as a human being. But the story continues on. And upon hearing the news that the man's son is alive, the character in today's reading is called a father, a royal officer, a human being, a parent. What might this progression of identities entail? Among other things, it demonstrates the inevitable realignment of our values and of our relationship to each other when we place our trust in the promise of life that God in Christ bestows. After all, we can hear the undertones of conflicted allegiances when the character in the story is first introduced as a royal officer whose son is ill. Two roles that don't really fit neatly together. But what we hear underneath is this. Here is a man whose entire life depends upon an institution and whose priorities, even those of his family, are first defined by his relationship to the empire and that which the empire says is important. But by the end of the story, having come face to face with Jesus, who sees him first, not in relation to the empire, but as a human being, loved by God, the man experiences, maybe even for the first time, that maybe there is more to his life than he has ever known before. And in this exchange, what does occur amounts to nothing less than a paradigm shift, a complete recalibration of allegiance and of commitment and of values, such that the very power structures around which his life depends are dismantled and replaced by his dependence upon the truth of the word of Jesus in whom he trusts. And why is this important? It is important because the message of the gospel is this, that to all who would receive him, to all who would but place their trust in his name, he authorizes to become children of God, born anew, by the promise of life that is Christ's alone to make and to keep. Which brings us to the third observation from today's reading. 
And that observation is simply this, that the Father in today's reading did not first believe the promise of Jesus for himself. According to the scriptures, he first believed in the promise of Jesus on behalf of his Son. Relatedly, upon a close reading of the story, we may find ourselves asking, where are the disciples? They were here just a few verses ago, and in fact, the last thing that Jesus says to them before they disappear from the narrative is this, I am completing the work of the one who sent me. And I, Jesus says to them, am sending you. So look around you, he says. Open your eyes and see for yourselves that the fields are ripe for gathering fruit for eternal life. Now it could be that the disciples decided to take Jesus at his word, and so they're not in the story because they're out busy doing other things. Or perhaps they're right here in the midst of the story, listening silently and learning from the faith that we too can possess on another's behalf. For there, in the trust of this man, is the mission of the church. To have faith in the life-giving promises of Jesus, not just for ourselves, but for our neighbors, for our families, for our friends, for our children, for our partners, for our loved ones, and for our co-workers, for the guy at the post office whose name we can never seem to remember, for the lady down the street who never cleans up after her dog, for the man who was rude to you at the grocery store, for the person you just unfriended on Facebook, for the people whose pain we may have caused, for the people whose suffering we want to ignore, for the people whose belligerence we try to excuse, for the people who have gone on before us to the place that Christ has prepared, for all of the spaces in between us and the people we come into contact with, whose lives and whose stories are being redeemed, even as we gather here in this moment together. It is our response to God's promise of life and love for each of us that will have a direct effect not only on the stories that we tell, but also the stories that we live by making room for God to do a work that God can only do if we choose to participate. Because our faith has consequences. And the church as a community born by the promise of life that God in Christ bestows, lives to bear witness to this promise in acts of love and dignity for the people around us. The church exists to be instruments of the salvation of God. And we have no other vocation, no other reason for being, apart from our being called as the sent people of Jesus.
So may our lives become a demonstration of the good news that we have received. Good news that God intends for us to share in community with each other. So that the life that Jesus promises to us may become a reality in the here and now by the presence of the Holy Spirit who makes the love of God real to us, energizing us to become a church whose eyes are open wide to a world that Christ is redeeming and whose lives are a humble sign of the salvation of God a promise of life that knows no end. Amen.